Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Uncertainty is so hard, Amy. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm not going to turn the porch light on and look at the wolf outside. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. It's not scary anymore. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Do as I say, not as I do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about dealing with uncertainty as a parent. Does that happen with you, Amy? A little uncertainty in this whole game? I have my doctorate in dealing with uncertainty as a parent. (laughs) I mean, I was recently having a conversation with a friend about parenting and kind of a frank, difficult conversation about what's hard about it and that we don't talk as much about the kind of constant dread that accompanies this parenting job. Yeah, in little ways and sometimes in big ways. This idea came from our Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash group slash what fresh hell cast. We have a listener whose son has developed a disorder and she posted about it in the group. I'm not going to talk about the details of it because the details are one private and two don't really matter. The point is that the manifestations of this disorder that her kid has just been diagnosed with wax and wane. Could be gone tomorrow, could show up a lot, could get worse, could completely disappear, and nobody can give her answers on this. There are no answers. And so this mom wrote on our Facebook group that the hardest part of this was the uncertainty. She called it the not knowing of all of this. Mm. And she wanted to know, do other parents have experience with this? And how did they deal with their own emotions around this? And I have experience around this. And I know that you do, too. So it seemed like a good thing to talk about. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting how I think in especially modern times, my son recently had an emergency appendectomy and I took him to the hospital and they said, well, it's his appendix and this is what we do. We take it out. And if it's ruptured, it's going to involve these 19 steps. And if it's not ruptured, it's going to involve these two steps. And they took out his appendix and 24 hours later, he was feeling better. And seven days later, he was completely fine. And I think that that is often the way that we compute 
problems that our kids are going to face. Like someone will tell us what to do and then they will fix it. Or in some cases, they will tell us how to fix. I have another kid who's struggling right now with something academically. And it's like, okay, we're going to make this eight point plan and that's going to support him until he is back to grade level in this subject. And a lot of problems that you face as parents don't work out that way. They don't go into the fix it machine and rumble through and then spit out the other end fixed. That's right. It's the appendix as intense as that must have been. You knew that there were two outcomes and it was going to become clear in the next, say, eight hours. It would be plan A or plan B. And plan A was a lot more complicated than plan B. And you didn't want that. But you would know. You would know which way it was. And it was going to be there was a plan for which way it went. Yeah. There is a possibility in a non-ruptured appendix surgery that you could develop an infection and have a bad outcome. There's always a possibility of it going wrong. But on the scales, it's very much like what's going to happen is basically it's going to be fine after these steps. Yes. But both of us have dealt with other things with our kids where it's more like we're seeing this problem and it might develop into a problem that you are managing for the rest of your life and has some sort of scary sides to it. Or it might be something that gets to the point where you basically don't have to deal with it that much in your life. I had with two of my kids, each of them had to deal with different things. For one, I was told this will probably change when this child hits puberty. Mm. And we'll just have to wait and see. This was, you know, eight years out when I was told that. And it did. The other one, I was told this will change during puberty and it will either go away or it will get much worse. And we'll just have to wait and see. Right. And these specific, although non very specific examples, they're also kind of writ large, even for those of us who are dealing with kids who don't have presenting issues that we're super uncertain about. This is kind of true for everybody all the time. I feel like this is what makes parenting so very difficult. Things can develop at any given time. I had a kid who had a fall. And after the fall, he developed a tick. And we spent probably six months going to different doctors. And I, of course, was... I mean, it developed... He fell on a Tuesday, developed the tick on a Wednesday. And I was absolutely convinced that they were linked. How could they not be linked? He fell and hit his head. And then suddenly this new thing. And after six months of dealing with it... A, the tick disappeared, and B, we never made a connection. And the doctor was pretty convinced that it was a coincidence, that the two things were not related. Wow. And so now you're just like, okay, that was weird. And you have that sort of unresolvedness. Yeah, we just moved on and like, okay, that was weird. And is that something that's going to pop back up at some point? Possibly. Was it just some sort of shock reaction from the fall, maybe. From all the evidence of doing a pretty deep dive, it did not seem to be something that there was some neurological damage that was causing it. And so, you know, I very much have this idea of the doctors will fix it. Someone will tell me what to do. And that's not true. It's not always true. And so you then have to present some sort of certainty to your kids. You don't want to lie to your kids, right? But you want to seem, you know, really copacetic with it. You want to present to them a reassuring thing when you don't feel reassured yourself, when you're up reading about it after they go to bed and you don't want them to be in on that concern. And so, like, you know, what do you do with it and how do you compartmentalize it? And then there's another issue, which is the sort of 
you freak people out when you present the uncertainty. Yes. I mean, I've talked about on the show before, my daughter has had some very long term consequences of having COVID in now March 2020. And all the time, I'll have somebody say to me, well, she's feeling better, right? And I'll say, she is feeling better. She's not feeling like she felt in February 2020. And then they're like, what did the doctor say? And like the doctors say they don't know. And that uncertainty is deeply, it freaks people out. And seeing that mirrored back at you, is it freaks me out sometimes. One could do a very interesting full podcast about that topic. People's need for certainty, and you see it writ large, and you see it in small ways. That thing of getting to I don't know is just... I took my kid to the orthodontist yesterday. How long is it going to be? I said, how would I know? I've never been to this doctor. I've never. How would I know how long it's going to take to be seen? I said, I believe that, you know... Most times you've come to this office, my husband usually takes him. It's pretty quick, right? So we have every way to believe that it's going to be quick. But how would I know? But that is part of the way that kids approach you. You are this kind of omniscient being. Yeah. And I've told the story before that my car broke down once on the 101 freeway. I was in my 30s and I called my dad and I said, well, uh, dad, I'm broken down. And he said, why are you calling me? Call the police, call AAA. (laughs) Like, I live in New York, you're in LA. Like, what would I do about this? But I was raised very much as like my parents were in charge and they had all the answers. And it's very shocking that part of your life where you grow up. My husband and I were dealing with a family tragedy. And I just remember I kept saying to him, when are the adults going to come and take care of this for us? Like the idea that we were going to be in charge of dealing with the details of a situation that seemed so far out of my realm. It's impossible. Uncertainty, man, it is so difficult. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But you're right. Kids expect parents to just know the answers to literally everything, right? They just think we know. They think we got it. If we're doing a good job as a parent, if we're creating a secure attachment for our kids, they're like, yeah, mom knows what to do. And that's appropriate, I think. I mean, I've given my kids, we've talked about the metaphor before of like, I'm going to hold this for you because it's too heavy for you right now with little kids. And there are times where that is sort of your job is to hold the uncertainty for them and to say like, it's all going to be fine. I mean, I think that's important to give to your kids. We had another event that happened in our lives that involved one of our kids, a death of someone that they knew that was an extremely difficult and truly incomprehensible situation. And there were counselors involved at the schools who were trying to help us deal with it. And they said, you have to tell them we don't know why some things happen. And we don't know why this happened because Mm. they want to kind of wrap it up in a bow and say, you know, okay, because the thing is, if this could happen to someone they knew, and it was so out of the blue and so incomprehensible, then they suddenly have to live in a world where this could happen to them. And I think that that was very helpful. Like, this will not happen to you. We actually do probably know that. You knew that. Right. In that case, you were pretty certain and maybe the kid was less certain that they're right. You're safe. This won't happen to you. But the kid's like, "Mm, I didn't think so. That's hard. Yeah. I mean, my kids are now preteens and they're starting to confront a lot about school shootings. And it's an example of something where I can say the likelihood of this happening is actually quite small, although it happens way too much. Right. Once is too much. It is still unlikely to happen. But 
it's exactly in that realm of uncertainty where I want to be able to say like this, you'll never have to deal with this. This won't happen. Don't worry about it. Well, you got to find some place where it's probably not going to happen, but I can't actually offer you an assurance that this will never happen, you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Uncertainty is so hard, Amy. It is really hard. All right. So I thought, you know, for a change today, we talk about why something is hard, the science around it, what the experts say, and then what helps to make it better. Should we try that right after this? Let's do it, Amy. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Amy, I'm ready for you to solve this one for me. All right. So we actually did an episode that's kind of related to this. I'll put the link in the show notes. It was... Back to School Hell, Pandemic Edition. It is a very funny, in a tragic sense. Ha ha, Back to School 2020, you mean this is still happening from a year and a half ago when we really thought we should have been done with it by now. And we talked about the uncertainty. And in that episode, we were talking about the pandemic uncertainty that, hello, we're all back with it again. Like, what if the schools close in January? That was what we were worried about in this episode. Like, the school's going to try to stay open, but what if they can't? And we talked about something called uncertainty distress, that that was what we were all feeling. I don't know what's going to happen and it's stressing me out. So uncertainty distressed. There's a psychologist named Dr. Mark Freeston who studies it. And he says it's the negative emotions that you experience in response to the aspects of a situation that aren't known yet. It's the dread that you have about something worse happening and you don't even know what it is. Just things could get worse. Things could be really bad and you can't define it. Yep. And 
Depending on where you live in the country, you may have to have your kids go back to remote school at some point for a couple of weeks this winter. I have less dread about that than I did last year because it happened. <laughs> I have what we call dogged acceptance. And I guess kind of we were so worried about like, what if that happens? And then it happened, right? So now that it's kind of coming around again, it's like, oh, we know how this goes. It feels less uncertain. Yes. And put a pin in this because I think it is going to become a huge part of our solution. Put a pin in the idea of like, you actually get used to really hard, bad things. So maybe that's sort of where we're heading. Yeah, but I think that they're less uncertain. Yeah. Like, what if the schools close and then open again? Like, yeah, they probably will. It's a very different feeling in the spring of 2022 than it was in the fall of 2020. Correct. Right? Like, what if the kids are to stay home? I can't take it. Well, they did stay home and you did handle it and it might have to happen again. Not forever. I think that helps. I think that I believe that the wolf at the door who you're constantly throwing like scraps of meat to to try to keep it away from you can be more anxiety producing than the wolf eating you. That's what I think. Particularly when you've seen the wolf already. Yeah. Once you've seen the thing and you've faced it, that is sort of the way to address this. Yeah. The holding it apart from yourself, the thing of this could turn into something really bad or it might not is the worst part of it, I think. In the same way that we say looking forward to the vacation, you're not any happier when you're on vacation. I think the flip side of that is true, that worrying about what it is, the peak of like this horrible pain of uncertainty is waiting for the news. And that you've got something to do when you're in it. That's exactly what this research would say, that you can build up an intolerance to uncertainty, mm. that we just start to avoid it. And the kind of uncertainty that we as humans most try to avoid is a situation in which the outcome is yet unknown, but might be knowable very soon. Like we're waiting on the test results. That's the worst kind of uncertainty, right? And you know that you're going to have an answer soon. And so we try to avoid those situations because we're human, but the ways we try to avoid them aren't necessarily very productive, I guess. I believe in this. I believe in this. And I will also point to my mom's phrase, which is catastrophizing. She would always say, I think you're catastrophizing. And it means imagining the worst possible outcome that you live through a series of tragedies because you act as if, okay, this weird bump is going to turn into the beginning of the first day of my cancer journey. And like you go through that all in your head. And then when the weird bump turns out to be a benign cyst that you have to get taken out, it's like you spent three weeks basically mentally having cancer versus just waiting to find out what was actually going on. Some people call it borrowing trouble. If you are a person like me who tends to like worry out every possibility, you end up wasting some time. You definitely do. But then there's the we fear this might be cancerous and we'll have answers in a week. Or like your kid has been diagnosed with a seizure disorder and she's had two seizures and she might have a third. Like that's not catastrophizing. That's reality. That is, shoot, this is here. The wolf is in the room with you now. For sure. And you've got to learn how to deal with it. And I think you're right that we can look for trouble where there isn't any or borrow trouble. But then, you know, what do you do? When it's really trouble. When the uncertainty is really uncertain. It isn't like, what if my kid falls off the, you know, merry-go-round, the, the playground? Or, That's right. Good distinction. Yeah, this is like, this really is happening. Right. This is, they fell off the thing and we're going to look at the, do an MRI and then we'll know more. That's the worst kind of uncertainty. Just to bring the room down. <laughs> All the way down. <laughs> right, yeah. Keep it depressing, Amy. But I thought this was interesting because things that are definitely unknowable, like when you're little and you think like, who am I going to marry when I grow up? 
you kind of think about that, but you're not stressed about that because that's completely unknowable. Right. Like if you're worrying about where your child is going to go to college when he's four, I hope you're not, because that's truly unknowable, including will he go to college? So like that's borrowing trouble. You're right. Good distinction. What we're talking about is there is something coming. Yes. It's not unknowable. There might be an answer. We're going to find out soon. <laughs> We've done the rapid test and now we're waiting on the PCR test and we're uh, we might have something to worry about very soon. Yeah. And that's the worst kind of uncertainty. And your kid is looking at your face, reading you for signs of how concerned are we? They should be. And the answer is really, really concerned. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But you can't make it worse. And anyway, it, this is just a hard moment that we all find ourselves in as parents. My son broke his arm once and it was, you could tell by the way he was holding it. And it happened in front of a group of people. And I remember him looking at my face for my reaction. And then I remember everybody standing around watching, looking at my face. Like, how bad is it, mom? As if I'm a like, Mm. you know, who would I be? An osteopath? (laughs) Who does? Yes, you would be an osteopath. (laughs) I'm not a bone doctor. (laughs) I'm no bone doctor, people. And I'm trying to keep my face, you know, neutral. I don't like looking at injuries. That's really not my strength. No, no. no. But everybody was looking to me, including my child, like, it's okay, right, mom? You'll know what to do, right, mom? Yeah. Should we call an ambulance? Let us know, mom. It's hard to be this person. For sure. And... A lot of people face those kind of things with kids. And it's not only like, oh, people are looking to you to reassurance. It's that you don't really know how things are going to turn out for your kids. And it is so difficult. There's that lovely piece that we've referenced before. And I think most people are familiar with it. Welcome to Holland. The idea, I will say briefly, because most people are probably familiar with it, is that you get on a flight to Italy and you're looking forward to like the Leaning Tower of Pisa and pasta and seeing the, you know, what is it called? Acropolis? What is, no, that's in Greece. What is the big thing in Rome called? The Colosseum. <laughs> Coliseum, yes. And then the plane lands and you're in Holland and you're like, wait, I'm not supposed to be in Holland. I had tickets to Italy. And that if you spend your whole life regretting Italy, that you'll never enjoy the windmills and the tulips and the things that Holland has to offer. I get very emotional talking about it. But I think that is right. That like part of the journey of this is a journey of acceptance. But especially with these kind of diagnoses of, well, this could go really one way or another and it will evolve over life and maybe puberty will solve it and maybe puberty will make it worse. It can be very hard to find that place of acceptance. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess we'll know at puberty in eight years and really live with that, make peace with that. Yeah. And not try to bring the answer closer in both of my kids' cases. And everything doesn't always turn out fine. So I don't mean to be Pollyanna about this. In both of my kids' cases, things got a lot better at puberty for weird, different, and maybe related and maybe not reasons that nobody understands. But it's a long time to wait to find that out. Should we talk about some of the things that don't work that we try when we have uncertainty distress? I have something I think does work, but I'm going to save it. Okay. All right. So self-distraction, just try not to think about it. Doesn't work. Agree. Yeah. Experts say that's maladaptive. It would perpetuate distress by preventing disconfirmation of the feared outcome. I mean, there's an easier way to say that, Amy, but I agree. I think it's just like, I'm not going to go get that like mole on my neck 
checked because I'm afraid to find out and then you'll never find out that it's actually it's fine. It's nothing. That's disconfirmation of feared outcome. Yeah. It's also just six degrees of separation. Amazing play. If you've never seen it, it's don't think of elephants, you know, which is this theme that comes up in the play. Like, don't think of elephants. Don't think of the more it's so much work to be in denial. And this is something that I've come to later in my life that I've talked before about, I used to have a dream where I was being chased by a monster, I mean, or chased by something bad or, you know, a killer, whatever it was. And then I realized at some point that if I could make myself in the dream, turn around and look, I would wake up that like, there's nothing really behind me. And even if there is something behind you, that is the right metaphor for this whole conversation, which is the hardest part is staring at the wolf. It's so much scarier for a wolf to be outside of your door than to open the door and stare down the wolf and figure out how you're going to kill it. To wonder what it looks like. Yeah. How scary is that wolf? How big is it? Is it as scary as I think that that is the place that so many of us spend too much time is, you know, it's the seventh alien movie where you're like, I know it's got sharp teeth and it's silver and it's got goo coming off of its sharp teeth. It's not scary anymore. It's the scariest when you only see it skittering by in the corner and it's after everybody. And it can actually... Mark Friesen, who researches uncertainties, like if you try to avoid thinking about it, it can actually increase your perception of how uncertain the thing is, which therefore causes more stress about it. Say more about that. What does it mean? I'm not going to turn the porch light on and look at the wolf outside because I'm not going to think about it. That can instead like rebound into you wondering even more about the wolf and its appearance seeming even more uncertain to you, which causes more stress. It grows. It grows and grows. Of course, it grows. And trying to hold it away from yourself, it grows. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do in this case? So something that I have done many times is I try to become more well-informed. It's like, okay, if I'm dealing with a disorder, I'm going to learn everything I can about this disorder so I can understand it. There's a flip side to this. Yes, there is a huge flip side to this. Which people call like Dr. Mom or Dr. Google and the experts call cyberchondria. That's a good word. I've never heard that before. It's the word for like living on the internet, looking up medical information, which can lead to excessive concern about health, not reassurance. Right. If done in the wrong way. But I do want to push back. I get really annoyed when people are sort of like, okay, mom, here you go. I've dealt with doctors like that. And it has been repeatedly because of how much I knew about something that was poorly understood and that I was able to recognize things. I saw something happening in my kid that needed medical attention that I had only caught because I had read about it as something that might happen. And I'm a firm believer in you should be informed about your own medical stuff and your kid's medical stuff if they have it. But I also like I'd be lying if I said there weren't times that I was perhaps over-researching. Can you imagine me over-researching something? (laughs) Amy, I mean, blow my mind, (laughs) why don't you? Over-researching. I think that's right. I have a little bit of a pushback to your pushback. And let's take a break. I want to push back after this. Okay. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. And now, Parenting Metaphors. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Parenting is like navigating on the open seas. Sometimes the waters are calm and sometimes they are rough. And also, you're not all on the same boat. Everyone has their own boat. So while you are trying to captain your own boat, you also need to be shouting directions to all the other boats. Including, for some reason, your spouse's boat. Did we mention that everyone on all the boats needs dinner? They do. Parenting is like tending a garden. You have to carefully watch over the plants in your care, cutting back the weeds regularly and feeding and watering to allow those plants to grow. Until one day the plants unroot themselves and leave and go to college. And they very rarely remember to call you. Parenting is not a sprint. It's a marathon. But like a marathon where for the first part you're holding an 11-pound baby. And then part of the way through you have to teach that baby how to also run while you are also still running. And that child does not like running. So there's a lot of complaining. Also, the whole time during the marathon, the people on the sidelines yell out critique of your running and make a lot of suggestions about how you could definitely be running better. This has been Parenting Metaphors from the What Fresh Health Podcast. So I also think we have to give space, Amy, to the fact that this is very, very hard. To look at the truth is really hard. And I think sometimes we skip it as like, oh, Dr. Mom, she's always Googling. Oh, this and that. Oh, people don't want to face the mole on their neck. Mm -hmm. It is really hard. And I think that when this situation occurred in my daughter's life, I knew that what I had to do was sit her down and tell her what happened. And I practiced like 
20 times. And when I went to say it, I couldn't say it. I pulled back. I choked when I went to say it. I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And then I knew that it was wrong to send her to school where she was going to be meeting with counselors and talking with her classmates about it without letting her know everything. But I choked. I actually couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And then she came home from school that day. And she's like, actually, mom, what happened was this. And I was like, yes, that is actually what happened. But I couldn't actually get those words out of my mouth. And like, it's really hard. So I don't want to put in people's path. Like, well, you just have to like lay out the possibilities and stare them down and you have to face it. Like some things are really, really hard to face. And I understand that. But I still think that finding that point of the bell curve where you're not, you don't have cyberchondria, you're not looking for trouble that's not there. But you're also not like sitting at home with like a weird lump that you don't want to get checked because you don't want to know what it is. There is a spot in between those two things. But there's a reason why it's hard to find. And I think that we often are dismissive of like, what kind of weirdo would find a lump and not get a check because they're scared? A lot of kind of weirdos, including me, you know? Sure. And I think, you know, moms get it from both sides. Like, mom, how could you have not brought in this kid? who's been talking about, you know, nausea for six weeks. How could you not have brought her in sooner? You're speaking to someone whose son absolutely screamed in pain for 20 hours before I took him in for his appendix because I thought he was constipated. Because the last time you did, you got the eye roll from Langston. He's constipated, mom. <laughs> Stop being so crazy. Right. You get it from both sides. And so I'm, I think, you know, something, if you're in this situation, you have to let go of that. You have to come with receipts and then, you know, not get stuck in that and, you know, keep what's best for your kid top of mind. But going back to this, what is it called? The cyberchondria? <laughs> Looking up something on the internet. I thought this was a really good sort of discerning principle. There's somebody named Victoria Maxwell who speaks about mental health and she wrote about this for Psychology Today about uncertainty. And she said when it comes to like staying up at night, you know, gathering information, you have to determine for yourself if the information you're gathering is helping you and informing you, or if it is a sneaky form of seeking reassurance. Say that again. If I'm staying up until one o'clock in the morning reading about dyslexia, say, right? Okay. Is it informing me? Is it helping me parent? Is it maybe addressing, moving me towards certainty? Or am I seeking reassurance? Am I instead seeking an answer, seeking the like, it's going to be okay? You know, I'm seeking to flip that switch to my head to like, oh, now I know what to do. And which of those is good and which of those is bad? That's what I guess I don't understand. If the information is helping, great. If you're just seeking reassurance that you're going to solve, you know, dyslexia by reading one more article at one o'clock in the morning, then you're probably, you know, you've tipped into... Cyberchondria. Cyberchondria. When my child was diagnosed, I spent a tremendous, tremendous amount of time on the internet. Yes. Yes, me too. And I will say in the beginning that I was very um, suspicious and uh, cast a gimlet eye, as you would say, on the diagnosis. And as I read more, I was like, hmm, this does actually seem right to me. You know, it helped ground me in it. And... It caused a tremendous amount of anxiety and upset in me, and it did become a little bit obsessive that I was finding myself, you know, for two or three hours a night, Googling and Googling and Googling. And But I don't know that I would go back and undo that. I think that it was a phase. It was very acute, and then it passed. And I think that 
as we turn towards solutions, Amy, I think that for me, the solution is inevitable to a certain degree, which is like, this is going to land at a certain point. The wolf is going to come in at a certain point and it's going to eat you or you're going to beat it to death with a golf club. But Mm -hmm. that is coming. And I think that However you need to process that period leading up to it, for myself, it involved probably six months lost to like a blind Googling panic. (laughs) This was a decade ago, and it has involved having a kid who needs certain supports that I was not expecting and that have been hard at sometimes, joyous at sometimes, funny at sometimes, frustrating at sometimes, and that being in it has not been anything as bad. It's been Holland. You know what I mean? I really love Holland. But nobody could have explained that to me. When I read that Holland article, I was like, nope, I'm not going to Holland. I'm going to Italy. Like, I couldn't get there. And I had to go through my own process of getting there. And... I have watched many of my friends on a similar journey, and I don't think there's a way when you first land in Holland to sit someone down and be like, you're going to enjoy the tulip someday. Let them have their process of whatever it is to get there. And it's not just kids who have different needs. It's not just kids who have medical diagnoses. It's kids who... You know, I come from a very high achieving academic family and I have kids who struggle in school and that's pretty unexpected for me. And it's big and small and it's dealing with shocking tragedies. Nobody is going to sit you down the day after and say like, well, listen, you're going to synthesize this into your life to the point where you can, you know, accept it. I just think there's a process to it. And, you know, when it comes to certain of those things, you're synthesis of it is going to take some time. And I think if you use some unhealthy crutches during that time, it's probably not that bad. I guess that's what I think. Yeah, I think the way out of this is to stop trying to become more certain, right? That when you're feeling the uncertainty is making you anxious. And so what do you want? So you'll stop feeling anxious? Certainty. But it might be an impossible goal at times like this. Yeah, I think you're right that you say, like, if you're worrying about where your four-year-old's going to go to college, like, you may always be the person who does that. And it's something that you can look at and control and say, like, hey, this is fundamentally unknowable. And if it's something where, like, your kid is exhibiting some symptoms that seem worrisome, I think you just have to think about that metaphor of the door and, like, When you're spending too much time worrying about what's outside of the door, that's something that you do have to solve for. That's not like you cannot, with the simple strength of your worrying, prevent every possible horrible outcome from happening. Correct. At first, you're going to look up on the internet and know what they are. So then you can like mind meld them and prevent them from happening. That is not going to work. It's not going to make you less anxious. And what I think will make you less anxious is eventually making peace with being uncertain. And that's something that just comes with time. As you said, like, that's not something that can be rushed. That's just sort of like, okay, like today was a good day. And then you have one more good day. And then you have three weeks of good days. And then things might seem a little better or things just seem your new normal starts to become more normal. And that's where you're going to reduce your anxiety. And until then, I think you can deal with your anxiety, which is completely understandable, but you're not going to deal with your anxiety by 
chasing certainty. Sometimes it's just not available. Yeah, I have to yes and that because I think that's exactly right. But that there's also some room for the doctor mom Googling that says, like, let me think about these outcomes and that the peace in this comes from settling into the outcome. We were just talking before we record. I've been working on a project for a really long time that just fell apart. And I am super disappointed, devastatingly disappointed. But there's some comfort in knowing that it's over at the same time. Certainty. Yeah. The uncertainty coming out of it will be a gift, even if the news is not what you want. Solving and dealing with and finding ways to help a kid who is going to have struggles for their life because of a diagnosis that you are getting is much easier than worrying about how it's going to go. And that is something that I think, you know, the worst has happened to many, many people and they survive it. You know, it's you don't want it, but jumping off of that cliff is a million times better than standing on the side of the cliff sometimes, you know, and I think that it's a great idea to reach out to people who are on the other side of the cliff. Yes. And there's a huge part of that, which is some acceptance of saying like this plane may be bound for Holland and like, I have to accept that at a certain point. You have to get there in your own time. And I know that like, I don't want to use the Holland metaphor too strongly because I'm not dealing with a kid with special needs in that way. And so, but knowing where you're going is better than worrying about where you're going. I guess that's all I can say about it. Mm, Yeah. Right. Just looking out the window and thinking, I hope the pilot knows how to fly this plane. Yeah. And it empowers you to be able to say like, okay, who else's spouse has had a cancer diagnosis? And like, let me find those people. Because when you sit in the place of like, I can stop this from happening by not thinking about it, you rob yourself of a lot of help that's available to you, you know, which is saying like, what if my spouse does have cancer? Like, what are the supports that we can put in place? What is it going to look like day to day? And then you kind of sink into that place of acceptance where you have some control again. That's what it gives you back. Like what the pain is in not having any control. Or at least you have peace. And it occurs to me, like if you, your kid has leukemia, these days there are the internet makes it so easy to find other parents who are dealing with that exact same thing, right? And I have found such comfort in that over time. And I think it's because if your kid has leukemia and you're meeting on the internet other moms whose kids have leukemia, they are living in that uncertainty with you. They know just what it's like. And they aren't scared of it, right? They aren't like, whoa, that uncertainty is freaking me out. So I'm going to stop making eye contact at at school pickup because I'm a little weirded out by this open-ended thing that this other parent is going through. They know. And so maybe that's one of the reasons, of course, besides resources and knowledge, that they're not afraid of what you're going through. They're walking through it with you. Absolutely. And I think it reminds me of our episode on does having kids make us happy that Mm -hmm. what we kind of came to in that episode is like, 
happiness isn't really the point. And I think that the farther I've gotten into my parenting, that as a young parent with young kids, I was like, it's all pumpkin patches and like how kids make us happy. And as I've entered my own midlife and my children's preteen stage, I just see the world much more. I've quoted Ram Dass before. We're all just walking each other home. Like our job as parents is not to be happy and to cause happiness for the people around us. Our point as humans and as parents is to walk each other through the things that happen to us. And that's just like, it's harder. I'm thinking about that, like thinking about being that parent holding the kid's hand and the kid says, okay, let's go home. And you're not exactly yeah. quite sure how to get home, but you sometimes it's not so clear where you walk and you just got to keep walking. Yeah. And just be at people's sides as they face life and just switch the story from like, I am the maker of fun and the keeper of the magic to like, I am this person's partner in this walk. And that not even worrying about where we're walking to and just finding the comfort in walking together. Listen, I'm horrible at this, but I do find... <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Right. I mean, totally do because I'm <laughs> terrible at this, but... I mean, my husband and I just celebrate our wedding anniversary and you, you look at these markers. We were 14 years married and it's like, you just would never have imagined the things that we've walked through together. And it's really not about the bachelor, like, oh, we're taking a hot air balloon while fireworks go off while we kiss. It's about like when your parent died, like I stood with you that it's just so much more about taking out the worry about what's going to happen and building and having faith that like you're ready for what happens. So much easier said than done, but man, I'm working on it. This was really helpful to me today. This is sort of thread this needle is tricky, but it helped me figure out what works and I'm going to try it next time. We're going to all keep <laughs> trying. It's not easy, friends. This suggestion came from our Facebook group as so many great conversations do. So come join us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast. You can find a link on our website and come join the conversation on our Facebook group where all the what fresh hellions are chatting it up. We would love to see you there. It's very nice. Until then, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, 
Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 